in some countries on Easter Sunday, I think Moldova being one of them, maybe Ukraine, the service starts with the pastor saying, Christ, the Lord is risen today. And the congregation replies, he is risen indeed. That's good, isn't it? We're looking at the resurrection appearances in John's gospel, having already looked at John's accounts of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And the first Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to a number of people, and I missed two out this morning. I was just testing you. The first one that he appeared to, the one we considered this morning, was Mary Magdalene. And then he appeared to the other women who came to the tomb early on. And then he appeared to Simon Peter. Uh, We're told that in 1 Corinthians. And then the two I missed were those walking on the road to Emmaus. We know that account well. And then on the evening of the first Sunday, he appeared to the disciples as they met together in what is probably the upper room in Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. And one of them wasn't present, doubting Thomas. And a week later, I know it says eight days, but that counts the Sunday as well. The following Sunday, Thomas was with them. Interesting, isn't it? That we're already told that it was on Sunday that the church was meeting together. And it was on Sunday, the resurrection day, that Jesus delighted to meet with his people. And it was then that Thomas was with them. So I want us to look at what is probably the first account of a Sunday service that we have in the whole of Scripture. Did you realize that? And it wasn't a morning service. It was an evening service. Isn't that interesting? At a time in our country when Sunday evening services are going the way of the world. It was on a Sunday evening that Jesus blessed his people. If that's sufficient reason to continue with the Sunday evening service, I know not what else we need. And Thomas missed the blessing because he missed the meeting. Wasn't Evan Roberts mightily convicted when he heard Seth Joshua, I think, say to a group of people, and Evan was one of them, make sure you don't miss the means of grace. By the means of grace, we mean the two Sunday services and the midweek meeting. Make sure you don't miss the meetings because you might miss the Lord visiting by his spirits. Now, let's look at this first Sunday service and just see what a Sunday evening service should be like in terms of Jesus appearing to his disciples. Now, the first thing I've got to say about this Sunday evening service, and it's something we should desire for our 
not just Sunday evening, but Sunday morning, midweek, and every service that we hold, is that Jesus comes to them. Do you get that? Jesus comes to his people. Why are we meeting together? We're not a group of people holding a religious meeting. There are plenty of other churches doing that, if that's what you want. We are a congregation, a called people. We've been called out of the kingdom of darkness, called into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And we are meeting together because we want to meet with him. And Jesus can come to a meeting like this. I find it very significant that on a Saturday, that's the Jewish Sabbath, God rested after he finished his work of creation, the old creation. Jesus finished the work of new creation when he cried out, it is finished, on the Friday. He died, laid his life down, and he rested on the Saturday. But now, on the Sunday, the work of new creation is beginning. We don't need to meet on the Saturday anymore because there is an abundance when you go from the Old to the New Testament. We don't want to celebrate the work of old creation now. We've got something bigger to celebrate, the work of new creation that Jesus Christ has wrought. So we must think of Sunday as the Lord's day. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead and brought into being the new creation. We, we mustn't think of Sunday as a day that we have to endure. Is anybody here tonight thinking of Sunday as another burden? We, we've misunderstood it, if that's the case. Not even the Sabbath was meant to be something to endure. Jesus said himself, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. And the Lord's Day, in a sense, it's like Christmas Day, isn't it? It's something that we are rejoicing in, that today, of all days, Jesus was victorious. And this is the point. Jesus delights to come to his people when they meet together. Now then, you may say to me, Pastor, Jesus came physically. He didn't bother with the door. The door was locked to the upper room. The door downstairs was locked. He didn't bother uh, with getting the keys. He didn't just appear he came through the doors. He had a resurrected, glorified body. Now, that's not going to happen in our services. <laughs> but this is what Jesus has promised. You know this promise. Where two or three, we're a bit more than two or three here tonight, aren't we? I will preach for two or three as well as this number. Why? Where two or three are gathered in my name, 
there am I. There am I. That's very simple. We are not gathered in our own names tonight. We're not even gathered in the name of Heath Church. We're not. We're gathered in the name of our risen Savior. And he's here. He's here. It's quite a different thing to feel his presence. That's what we mean by Jesus coming to a meeting. But Jesus has promised, and we can't deny the words of the Savior. He cannot lie. If we are his disciples, and I trust we are, we are believers, we're not nominal, we are following him. If we are meeting together in his name, and if he has said, I am there, then we take that and we rejoice in that. So we're not praying that Jesus will come as if he's not here. He is here. He's as alive as you and I are. But there's a huge difference, isn't there? Between that and what Mr. Hyam used to call the known and felt presence. Now, that's what we mean by Jesus coming by his Spirit in such a way that everyone is aware of him being here. You can be in a room and there can be an important person in that room and you may not be aware of it. That doesn't mean that the person isn't there. It's quite different, isn't it, when that person shows himself. And this is what we long for, I think. This is our raison d'etre as a church. Yes, we believe in the gospel and in the word, but we also believe in what we call experience and the height of Christian experience is not electricity going through your body but Jesus Christ by his spirit making his presence known and felt Jesus came he came physically to these disciples he can come by his spirits to us so when we're in the prayer meeting praying that the Lord will send his spirit upon the meeting that's what we're praying for we're not praying uh, that the Spirit will come and Jesus not come. When Jesus sends his Spirit, it's Jesus himself who's coming in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it a spiritual visitation. Jesus physically visited this service we're reading about this evening. He can come spiritually to us. Have you been in a meeting where that has happened? I wonder. Sometimes we can just get a sense of it, can't we? It's like being in the vestibule. But oh, to be in the sanctuary. And in a revival, that's what happens. People are just overwhelmed at the presence of the Savior. So overwhelmed that they've got to pray, Lord, hold your hand. We can't take anymore. How did we start our service? We sang, Jesus, stand among us in thy risen power. So this time of worship will be a hallowed hour. Will be a hallowed hour. 
Look at the group that Jesus came to here. They weren't much to look at, were they? We're told, where are we? Uh, Verse 19, at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, why were the doors shut? For fear of the Jews. These were a fearful, uncertain people. They weren't that many. What uh, kind of congregation was this? Well, there was the disciples, apart from Thomas. Judas Iscariot had committed suicide. Thomas wasn't there, so that leaves ten disciples. Maths was never my strong point, but I think I'm right in saying there was ten there. We also know that the women were there. Mary Magdalene, whom we considered this morning... Other women as well who had already met the risen saviour. And by this time, the two who had been travelling to Emmaus had met the risen Christ and realised it. And they ran back to the company of the disciples. I'm sure they were pretty tired, but it didn't matter, did it? When he comes, we forget about physical weariness. And this was the kind of congregation that he came to. What about us? What about us? What kind of congregation are we? I don't know. You don't know. Only Jesus knows. He is the head of the church. He is the one who has those x-ray eyes to see exactly where we're at as a church. When people ask me, where do you think we're at as a church, Pastor? I say, I don't know. I really can't answer that question. Only Jesus knows. But doesn't it encourage you even if we're not where we should be. I don't think these disciples were in one sense. Apart from the two who had come back from Emmaus and possibly Simon Peter and the women, they were scared, weren't they? That's why they locked the doors. And yet that didn't stop Jesus from coming to them. Do you know what, brother and sister? Jesus is more ready to meet with you than we are to meet with him. If we are reluctant to meet with Jesus, that won't stop him from meeting with us. The locked doors were no barrier to Jesus coming to this group of frightened, huddled disciples. And no barrier in our hearts, no barrier in our church, no barrier in our society will stop Jesus Christ from coming. Listen to the words of Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon was writing about a church of four, five thousand members and this is what he said of the metropolitan tabernacle where he was pastor in the 19th century i find this amazing some will say he will not come here for there are too many barriers and we ourselves are not in the very best of condition to meet him were there no difficulties then as well the doors were shut and the disciples were in fear Whatever doors may be between my soul and Christ, though they were doors of seven times plated steel. That's a description of unbelief, isn't it? He can pass through them and open them to get into my heart. As the hymn says, just as I am, thy love unknown has what? Broken every barrier down oh jesus full of truth and grace more full of grace than i of sin once again i seek thy face open thine arms and take me 
in. Jesus' love is deeper than depths of self-despair. Be encouraged, Christian. Wherever you are at spiritually, you're not too far away for Jesus to meet with you. Isn't that what we need? I know Jesus comes to a congregation, but what happens when Jesus comes to a congregation? He comes to individuals, doesn't he? He comes into our hearts. And when that happens to a lot of people, you have the congregation being blessed. Have we got tender hearts here this evening? Even if our tenderness is one of honesty, Lord, I'm not what I should be, but Lord, you're a God of grace and that won't stop you from coming to me. And I need you, Lord. And don't wait for me, Lord, to get to a place where I can somehow receive your blessing. Come to me where I'm at, Lord. Remember Jacob, he was running away, running away. And God came down that ladder. Jesus said, I am that ladder. And the blessing came down the ladder. And the ladder's feet were exactly where Jacob was. So Jesus comes. May these months be a time when Jesus comes to the heath. I'm glad, Jill, we've got Andy. But we need Jesus to come. We need Jesus. I'm called here. And he's called here. But we're not Jesus. We need the head of the church. We need him. What about Wednesday? I'm going to be in Rome, I know. But I'll be with you in spirits. Are we going to pray on Wednesday? Lord, come by your spirits to the heath. May next Sunday be a day like no other, because he's come. He's come. And then there's something else that Jesus does. He doesn't just come. He comforts. He comforts these disciples. What does he do? How does he comfort us? Uh, look at how he comes. Jesus came and stood in the midst. That's the first thing he does to comfort us. What's that about, you say? How can somebody standing be a comfort? Don't you get agitated when somebody won't sit down? If you're seated in a room and somebody keeps on standing, I have to say to them, can you please sit down? You're, you're making me nervous. But Jesus standing in the midst, you know, is the greatest comfort of all. Why do we get distressed? Do you know Why? Because we allow other things to stand in the center instead of Jesus Christ. It's when Jesus is where he should be amongst his people that we are really at peace. The greatest comfort for us as a church is to have Jesus standing in the midst. Nothing and no one else. I know we've got a Bible, well, we've got two Bibles here. There's an authorised version and there's a new authorised version. Just to make sure that we don't worship one or the other. But it's not the scriptures that stand in the midst. What else have we got? We've got communion table. It's not the communion that stands in the centre. What have we got under the communion table? We've got the baptistry. It's not the baptistry that stands in the middle. 
Who have we got in the pulpit? We've got myself this evening. We'll have our assistant next Sunday. It's not us who are to stand in the midst. We, we've got a hymn book. Well, I've got a hymn book. I don't know if you've got a hymn book. Before lockdown, I was all jittery about having words of hymns up on screens. I don't have a problem now because we were forced to do it. But it's not what hymns we sing and how we sing them that should be in the midst. We get into difficulties when all those things become central and not Jesus Christ. Uh, Spurgeon again. I love Spurgeon. He's got a sense of humor. This is what he says. I love the name of Calvin. Do you, do you like Calvin? You don't have to like Calvin. Don't worry if you don't like Calvin. But I love the name of Calvin, Spurgeon says. But I always regard him as sitting on one side. Calvin's over there. And then Spurgeon goes on. To say, I love the name of Wesley. I love the name of Wesley as well. Calvin and Wesley in the same congregation. Well, they are, aren't they? They're in heaven. And I regard him occupying another side. There are many preachers, not just me and Andy. We are blessed with many good preachers. But not one of them is in the midst. The Lord alone is to be there. Others are present and they shine with varying brightness. But Jesus is the sun and center of our system. When Jesus isn't in the midst, we get perturbed and distressed. Is Jesus in the midst? As your pastor, and I'm sure Andy will say amen to this, what I want is for Jesus only to be in the midst. I want us to be a Jesus-only people. Isn't that what we're called, Christians? Whatever light we shine, we're just reflecting. His light, like the moon, we're just reflecting the sun. Jesus is the sun. And then he doesn't just stand in the midst. He speaks, he speaks. And what a wonderful word he speaks. In the Hebrew, it's shalom, peace. What a wonderful word that is. It doesn't just mean peace in the sense of the English word. It means wholeness. Uh, peace, perfect peace. It is well, not just in terms of my circumstances, but with my soul. And indeed, even when circumstances are not well, it is well with my soul. That's what shalom means. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' first words to these disciples is peace. Would you have spoken to them like that? I don't think I would have. Do you know what I would have said to them? I would say, shame on you. You bunch of weaklings. You wimps, where were you in my hour of deepest need? They ran away. It was only the women who still stood with him. But even the women at first, when he rose from the dead, couldn't believe it. Peace, not blame. Peace, not fault-finding. Peace, not rebuke. What a saviour. Would to God that we were like that with one another. Peace. Isn't this the keynote of the church? Peace. Peace with God. 
That's what the gospel is all about. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're reconciled to God through the death of his son. And then what does that result in? That results in the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds. And what does that cause? That causes us to be at peace with one another, doesn't it? If we've been forgiven, if Christ has completely reconciled us to his Father, if he speaks peace to our hearts, even when we don't deserve it, how can we be lacking in peace with one another? And he stands and he speaks and he shows he shows himself that that is enough isn't it just to see Jesus presence you need that sometimes don't you you just need to know that somebody's standing with you I said a few Sundays ago of a minister who comforted a person that was really going through it and all this minister did was put his hand on their shoulders basically saying I'm with you I'm with you it's like uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine showing himself all the time on television, showing the distressed people that he's there. And this is what Jesus, our commander, is doing here. He's standing, he's speaking, he's showing, I'm here, I'm no longer dead, I am victorious, and I'm going to lead you to triumph as well. But he shows one thing in particular. I just got to dwell on this before I come to the particular I mentioned this morning, and we've got to get this into our heads. He's alive. He's alive. Even if we don't have revival, even if he doesn't visit in the way we long for, he's still alive. Praise be to his name. As we sang this morning, I serve a risen Savior, and he's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy. Don't you experience that? Even in the past week, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always, always near. But particularly, what does Jesus show? Not just himself. What does he show? Uh, look at what it says. Peace be with you. In verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands, the nail prints, and his side, the spear prints. What does he show them? He shows them his wounds. Isn't that interesting? The resurrected, glorified body of Jesus Christ still bore the scars of the crucifixion. I've got a scar on my thumb. I used a penknife when I was young and it slipped and I'll have a scar for life. But when I have my new resurrection body, you won't have that scar. But Jesus is perfect, glorified, resurrected body has scars. Do you know why? Because your greatest comfort, my greatest comfort, is not just Jesus in the midst, but Jesus crucified. Without those wounds, there's no peace. Because there's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And that's what we are by nature. But the wounds of Jesus Christ speak of his accomplished death. And they say, it's done. It's done. Don't you love the hymn, Before the Throne of God? Don't you love it? When Satan tempts me to despair. Don't you have those times when... The devil has a go at you, and you don't know what to do. Do you know what Martin Luther did once? He threw the ink pot at the devil. 
and tells me of my guilt within. He's good at that, isn't he? What do you do? Upward I look and see him, Jesus there, who made an end of all my sin. What do you see? You see the wounds. And then it goes on to say, because the sinless Savior died, the wounds, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Yes, I'm free because he has died. And then Jesus commissions, he commissions his disciples. He comes, he comes, he can come to us by his Spirit. He comforts. Don't you need his comforts? Jesus in the center, Jesus speaking in the word. All he needs to speak is one verse sometimes. Haven't you had that happen to you? Maybe uh, on a weekday as you're reading, a verse stands out, a verse just hits you. And you can hold on to that verse for the rest of the week. And Jesus himself, Jesus and him crucified especially, is our peace. I don't know what I do. I don't know how long I've got left in this world. All I know is I've got less time than I've already had. And most of you are in that position. Forgive my bluntness. But Jesus has lived and died for us. And we don't need anything else. But then he commissions, he commissions. I'll hurry through this. What does he commission them with? Do you know, Christian, that you've got a commission? You've been given a message. The church of Jesus Christ isn't just about worshipping the risen Saviour. We've got a commission. I know in Matthew, we have the account of the Great Commission. This is the Johannian account, John's account of the Great Commission. How does Jesus commission these group of nobodies who are scared until he comes to them and speaks peace to them, who are powerless in and of themselves to face the might of the religious Jewish leaders and of the Roman Empire. How does he do it? He does two things, and then I'll be done. What does he do? He breathes his spirits upon. Don't you like that? He breathes. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, he must communicate this peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Spirits. The word for spirit in Hebrew and Greek is the same as for breath, the same as for wind. So there's a play on words here. I like it. <laughs> the breath of the Holy Spirit. The wind. I was having lunch in somebody's uh, dining room and the front window was open and there was, th- there was a breeze coming through. That's what happens when Jesus Christ draws near by his spirits. It's as if there's a spiritual breeze. It's so refreshing. What does the hymn say? Breathe on me. Do you know it? Breathe on me. Breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. Or we started the service with Jesus. Stand among us in thy risen power. How does it go on? Breathe thy Holy Spirit, into every heart. Bid the fears and sorrows from our hearts 
depart. Don't you want a breath of the Spirit? Don't you? Sometimes as summer uh, comes and we have heat waves, we think, shouldn't we bring up in church council having AC fitted in, air conditioning? I don't know. We don't have enough uh, hot days, do we? But, oh, I would long to have the breath of the Holy Spirit. Just as God breathed life into the first creation, so Jesus breathes life, spiritual life, into the new creation. There's just a hint here of Pentecost. At Pentecost, there's going to be a mighty breath, a mighty wind. And then Jesus gives this commission, very difficult words, often misunderstood. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Well, pastor, I can see now why you're going to the Vatican. (laughs) You're going to ask the Pope, because he has the keys, according to some people. We don't believe that's This is what gives the Pope the right to forgive the sins. To forgive not just on a personal level, but to forgive in terms of a person standing before God. The sins of the person. And also to refuse the forgiveness of God to a person. That is utter unscriptural nonsense, if I can say it. What it says, the best translation, the tense, is perfect, already done. So this is a better translation. Let me give it to you. Whosoever sins you forgive shall have already been forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, do not forgive, shall have already not been forgiven. Listen. The Pope, the minister of Heath Church, the assistant minister of Heath Church, any pastor does not have the authority to make it happen in terms of a person being forgiven. Uh, This is how one person has put it. I think this is excellent. The church does not provide forgiveness of sins. That would be horrible if we could provide that It's Christ alone who provides that. We proclaim forgiveness of sins on the basis of what already happened. It's perfect, past. What we have the authority to declare is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not easy believism. That means repent and believe in Jesus and you shall be forgiven. But if you don't, Turn to Christ. You shall not be forgiven. I've got divine authority to say that. You've got divine authority to say that. It's not your idea. It's not even something that the church decided. It's something that Christ has given. We have received of the Lord this commission. It wasn't just the apostles that received it. This meeting consisted of the women. This meeting consisted of the two who were walking to Emmaus. This is for every Christian. Christian, you have the authority Do you realize that? 
You have the authority in Jesus' name to declare, if you believe in God's way of salvation, you are forgiven. You've got the authority. We're not bigoted people. We're not proud people. I've been told of us evangelicals, we're proud, thinking that we're the only ones who are going to heaven. Now, we would be proud as Lucifer if we thought that in terms of our own strength. But it's not pride, it's humility which says, on the basis of God's word, on the basis of Scripture. We're not here to perform. We're not here. We're not here to perform in terms of entertainment. We're not here to perform in terms of absolution of sins. Christ has performed. We proclaim. We proclaim. We're not here to protest either. I've got to say that. We're here to proclaim, proclaim Christ. How did Paul put it? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I'm an ambassador tonight, as though God was speaking through us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Thomas Watson said, know that in every sermon preached, God calls to you and to refuse the message of the preacher is to refuse God himself because the preacher is preaching Christ's word. And the same is true of you as a believer. You've got the word of God to bring. We are not fumbling around in the dark as a church. We've got a commission. My friends, we're not to be in a holy huddle. We've got a message of salvation to declare to this city. And there are other churches that are doing the same. Uh, let me finish with Leon Morris. I started with a quote from him this morning, and I'll finish with a quote from him. The church is not a group of religiously-minded busybodies, do-gooders, anxious to interfere in other people's lives and turn them into replicas of themselves. It is a group of people who have been saved by Christ's death and resurrection and on the basis of his death and resurrection, have been commissioned to bring the message of salvation to sinners everywhere. And what we're saying to you, if you're still outside of Christ, is we are sinners in and of ourselves as well. We are just as bad as you are in and of ourselves. But Jesus, Jesus saved us, and he can do the same to you. And we're not a bunch of do-gooders. May God deliver us from that. We're not a bunch of religious freaks. May God deliver us from that. We're a group of people who've been made alive spiritually in Jesus Christ. We are his workmanship. And we meet every Sunday, not because of tradition, but because this is the day he rose from the dead. And this is the day he delights to come to us. May he do that in a way that we've hitherto not experienced. And may it cause us not to go in on ourselves, but to go out with this wonderful message of the gospel for his name's sake. Let's sing together now Mr. Hyam's hymn, I Saw a New Vision. Isn't that what we need? A new vision. A brother prayed this on Wednesday night. A new vision of Jesus. A view I'd not seen here before. And the hymn ends that God is the end. Our God is the end of the journey. And there in heaven, the all we are are children of mercy. And we praise him for Calvary's
pain. It's 812 if you're at home. the grace together and then let us remain standing for the extroit. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and ever. Amen.